got the whole thing. You can get me ballin' overseas. Never got jaded to the league. But in ballin' overseas. Yo, what up, what up, what up, what up, what up? Today is Thursday, March 11th, 2021, and you are now tuned in to a brand new episode of Ballstorming. I am your co-host, Devin Williams, along with the host, Brian Davis. Brian, what's going on, brother? What's going on? What's going on, Dev, man? How you doing? Uh, man, loving life, man. How about you? Man, pretty good, man. The weather got hot back down here again. You Boy, know, I, I know. Had a winter it, storm. Yeah, I had a real winter <laughs> this year down there in Texas, man. But hey, it's... For a whole week. <laughs> but hey, I'm actually really excited about this about this next guest. And and it's funny, he doesn't even know this, but he was one of the very first people I met when I actually moved to Phoenix. Like I had moved to Phoenix. And I was like, man, I gotta go get a workout in. I just went up to Lifetime, man. Ended up running with him and his son, man. Dude always showed me mad love, always real cool, great conversation with him. Uh so I want to introduce a uh former NBA player, NBA champion, best-selling author, and a business owner. Joe Courtney. Hey, hey, hey. How you guys doing? Doing oh, good. Man, doing good, good. How, how's life? Glad to have you on here. I, I'm glad to be here, man. Thank you for that. Yeah, man. So how's how how's life on your end, man? Uh, things are good, man. Things are good. Just uh happy to be getting past this COVID uh oh, year. Uh, COVID is all out of here. <laughs> I, I know it's it's gonna be amazing to see how many books come out of that. Man, it oh, is man. So so I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start it off like this. So for the for the people who don't know who Joe Courtney is, man, just gonna kind of introduce yourself, man, because I want everybody to know exactly who you are. Kind of let them know your pedigree a little bit. Well, um, so I'm originally I was born in Jackson, Mississippi, and I was raised partially in Heidel, Heidelberg, Germany, and um, I was in the School of the Arts. And my dad said that you got to pick up a basketball, a football, or something if you're gonna stay at my house. So. Uh, <laughs> so uh, in my 10th grade year, I picked up a basketball for the first time. Oh, wow. And uh, seven and a half years later, I was on the court with uh, the great Michael Jordan playing with the Chicago Bulls. Wow. Wow. So let me, let me ask you about this, man. Hey, hey I'm going to go ahead and get this out the way, man. Give me an MJ story, man. Give me one MJ story. There's something crazy because we all know MJ was this uber competitive guy. And, you know, but you actually shared a locker room and a basketball court with this man. Man, he was uh, he was awesome, man. He, I was actually his rookie when I went there, you know, because I was obviously young. And, you know, I was very hungry, had nothing to lose, and I didn't take any crap from anybody. So he kind of, I think, took a liking to me for that. But I'll tell you, I think the other reason why was in the summer leading up into that, um, I had met these agents that were going to sign me uh, to a three-year deal with Seattle Seattle Supersonics. And um, so I traveled to Chicago. And um, when I got there, I found out through an assistant of theirs that they had kind of uh, reworked the deal to, to try to send me to Europe so they could make a higher percentage. Well, on the short end of that is I ended up firing the agents and kind of took control because I came there for one purpose and one purpose only, and I was making it to the NBA. And so... Right. Um, the assistant actually took me to the Chicago Athletic Club the next uh, next two days. And uh, he said, hey, man, you never know. You might even see Jordan there. Here he makes a, a showing every once in a while. But uh, all the NBA players play there and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so I, I go there and uh, I start playing and, you know, just really frustrated from what had happened to me. 
you know, like I said, had nothing to lose. I was just putting it all out on, out on the court. And, you know, you had some of the greats, you know, Kendall Gill, Juwan Howard, uh, mm-hmm. Reggie Miller, Nick Anderson, you know, a bunch yeah. of guys and my board that are all from Chicago. And so, you know, I just started dunking the ball, man. You know, as Mississippi boys, we had some hops. So I'm dunking the ball. And, uh, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's an excuse for not, not having a jump shot at the time, I'm sure. But, but, uh, but you know, just kind of, you know, really just putting it out there, man. And uh, all of a sudden, this guy walks up to me, a bow-legged guy. And he looks at me and says, hey, man, why are you so angry? And, um, you know, respectfully, I said back to him, you know, why do you care? Who are you? Like, what's, what, you know, what's, what's going on? And, he said, uh, listen, if you, if you learn how to channel that anger, uh, that you're obviously frustrated about something, um, you know, you could actually be a pretty good player. And I said, uh, well, you know, absolutely. And so he said, meet me after the, after the gym there, and we would talk. And so I did. And Tim, Car- uh, Tim Hardaway comes up to me afterwards and says, hey, man, do you know who that was? And I said, no. He said, man, that's Michael Jordan's trainer. That's Black Jesus' trainer, man. Do you, you don't know who that is? Oh, that was <laughs> Tim Glover? Tim Grover, yeah. Grover, was, Grover. Ooh, my best of Tim yeah, Grover. Ooh. Yeah, Tim Grover. And so, you know, two things I learned at the instant. Number one, I learned who Michael Jordan's personal trainer was. And number two, I learned that they called Michael Jordan Black Jesus. <laughs> so, so the next morning, uh, I show up at Chicago Athletic Club. Tim had worked an agreement out to train me. And uh, so I show up and to go through a training session with him so he could see what else I had. And, we go through about 45 minutes to an hour intense training and he stops it and he says, okay, you know, uh, your workout partner is going to be here in a minute. Just give you know, take a break. Uh, and uh, I'll let you know he's here. So I go to the side, get some water, you know, kind of relax a little bit. And about five minutes later, man, I, you know, you know, that feeling you have when something's about to happen. Yeah. yeah that, you I know, know that feeling mean. like, Ooh, yeah, you can feel it, man. It's, and it's quick, but it's like, you know, it's, whoa, what was that? Like, you know, and uh, so I felt like someone, some was, some life changing was getting ready to happen. I just had a moment. It was almost like a euphoria. So, um, you know, fast forward back to that, that moment or rewind back to that moment. Tim looks at me and says, hey, your partner's, you know, here. The elevator opens up and I see the shoe come out first. <laughs> what he had on, on? What numbers was it? What number he had on? Hey man, listen. There was no mistake in that. There was no mistake in that Jumpman logo, right? <laughs> and, and, and I said to myself, "Nah, it can't be. That couldn't be what what I thought was I'm feeling, right?" And right. about that time that that thought goes through my mind, the rest of him comes out, and it's Michael Jordan. And I look at Tim, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" And he says, "Look, looks at me and says, hey, you see, you want to make it. You want to be the best. You got to train with the best.'" Ooh. And so I said, hey, I'm cool. You know, so he introduced me to Michael. And from that point on, we started training together. We played. And I'll tell you the, the end of the story here. <clears throat> we start playing. And so, you know, I started doing my thing and whatever. And Tim just didn't like what was going on because, you know, so he stopped the play and says, hey, we're going to switch this up. MJ, you guard Courtney. And he starts switching things up a little bit. Uh, and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> he looks at me <laughs> and he goes, and he goes, now do that shit you were doing yesterday. <laughs> Excuse my, you're good, you're good, you're good. <laughs> but man. that's what he says to me. And so, uh, so I'm like, oh man, you know, look, Michael Jordan's my idol, you know, nobody knew really yeah. knew that. 
And I'm like, then he's telling me to just, you know, what are you telling me to do, man? And so MJ, I didn't know. They just wanted to see what I had, you know. So, so next thing you know, we're going up and down the court, and Michael starts elbowing me in the back. Mm. And the first time he does it, I'm like, oh, okay, that's what an NBA elbow feels like. That's you know, so I'm banging right, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was supposed to be something different, right? Um, we go up and down the court again. They give me the ball. I pass it back out. Tim looks at me and he says, "Don't pass the ball." Next time down the court. MJ elbows me again, and he hits me harder this time. So the second time he hits me, I'm like, okay, you know, you're my idol, and then, you know, but you do that again, I'm going to have to, you know, so I might, might have turned this on a little bit. So right. next Turned time down the court, man, the Mississippi get, on him. <laughs> yeah, so the next time down the court, man, you know, uh, he gets he gets physical, hits me a couple more times, you know, in the back. Man, they threw me the ball. I grabbed the ball, drop step, and just blacked out, man. Next thing you know, I dunked the ball. and. Mm. Uh, and as I'm letting go of the rim, I'm turning away, and Michael Jordan's chest comes up by the rim. Man. He literally was that high in the air. Wow. And I come down, and I hit the ground, and I'm thinking, did I just see what I think I saw? You know? So I'm running down the court, you know, and next thing you know, all I hear is, oh, my God, oh, my God, you just dunked on Black Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Tim, Tim Hardaway, Tim Hardaway uh, starts, you know, saying this to me anyway. But long and short of it is, man, it was one of those things where it was a moment and it's kind of like he showed me what I had before I knew what I had. You know what I mean? It was, mm. I had got pushed out of my comfort zone. And I can tell you a thousand stories like that, uh, that you know, happened with Jordan in different scenarios that I started learning on that day. That was day one of me learning how to be a pro. You know, Man. and so um, from that point on, we start training together the rest of the summer and uh, training camp happened. And I ended up getting the, the only jersey available that year for the Chicago Bulls. Man, that's nice. Dude. Nice. That's extreme. Hey, man, you um, you said something interesting to me right there. Man. Um, could you can you go a little bit deeper when you said you was taken out of your comfort zone and mm -hmm. you 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 were able to find out who you were before, you know, knew you were. Um what are some things like that that you've learned throughout the course of your career playing professionally that kind of really helped you once you do get out of your comfort zone or, or when you're in that point, how do you grow from there? Well, you know, that's, you hit the nail like on the head, the best, one of the best things that we could be talking about because that, that exact thing is what changed and trans starts my transformation become from becoming a wannabe to a I'm here uh, mentality. And that's how Tim Grover trained you. And I'll say this in prefacing with, in answering your question. Tim mastered, one of his mastery things is you don't start training until you're outside of your comfort zone. So until you're exhausted, that's when he starts training you. Mm. So when you're tired, so he breaks you down through the training. And then once you're on that treadmill and your body, he asks you questions and you're feeling tired, you're, you're okay, oh, you know, I'm good. And as soon as you hit that point where it's like, Okay, I'm, I'm I'm starting to fade now, and he'll get quiet for a second. He goes, "You go, you want to stop? You want to stop?" And uh, well, yeah, maybe in a second. And then he just lights you up. Mm -hmm. He goes, "I thought you said you want to make it. You want to be the best. This is the time where it starts." So, from the very physical point of the physical training, all the way to getting to um, training camp and going through being around the professionals and Phil Jackson and and Tex Winter and all those guys who understood 
that it's okay, Joe, if you, if you don't know this part of the play. And they take me and they literally get me out of my comfort zone and repetition, 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 and telling me that's okay. This is how you get better. Where when I transition into the business world, I, I realize that people are trying to hide those insecurities. And mm-hmm. as a result of them hiding their fear for getting exposed or uh, getting in their, get out of, getting out of their comfort zone, they never end up getting better. And then they end up masking it by not only the insecurities, but things that are against the very nature of what they're trying to do to be successful. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and I, and I, to that, I say, man, a lot of people are, are afraid to fail. Like right. they, they're, they feel like failure is the end, but a lot of people don't realize failure can actually be the beginning of something. Like it's, I don't consider it a failure if you learn from it. If you've learned something, Absolutely. you're able to take away something that you can apply that to your next steps or whatever. I didn't fail here. I learned, I came here, I got what I was supposed to get out of this. Now let me take what I've learned and let me, let me, let me apply this to my next step or my next journey and my next ventures and things of that nature. So Man, that's that's an that's an amazing story, and that was a that was a great question to follow up with. That is, you know, getting out of that comfort zone. So, 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 let me talk to you about this. So, after you know, you you had your stint playing professional ball. When you what went through your mind, it was like, okay, I'm done playing professional basketball. Like, how did you handle that transition? Because there's a lot of guys who may not, you know, make go overseas and play, you know, 10 years and come back and they're like, man, I, I didn't have a, I don't, I don't know what to do. They, they're kind of lost in that between phase. So how, how did you handle it? Well, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to have a, a love before basketball. And I, as I mentioned to you guys earlier, very briefly, I was, I was, had a passion for the arts. Uh, and so I, I went to school for architecture and I knew that in some way, form or fashion that I would be in, and to something dealing with custom homes or homes or developing or something. Uh, but, you know, as you go through pro, pro sports and sports in general, you go through 10, 12, 15 years of, of something where you're giving your every bit of your soul to, mm-hmm. uh, you start, you start um, becoming, you know, very, very uh, pro that, that side. And then you start developing the insecurities. And then the questions start coming into your mind about, well, can I really go do this? And, you know, as you get closer to that time coming, when you're getting ready to retire, you start really second guessing and questioning yourself. Uh, even if you have a skill set, even if you have a structure that's already set up, like an architectural degree or whatever it is, uh, a lot of people, and this almost happened to me, where they fear themselves out of, like, oh, you know, you know, this is all I know is basketball. Maybe, maybe I can't really do that. Well, whereas I started preparing a couple of years before I retired. So as soon as those thoughts start hitting my mind, you know, I fell back on the, on the training that began at the very beginning with Tim Grover, which, which was now I recognize that this is a fear and fear is a lie. And I got to conquer that by submerging myself into it and conquering it. And so what I did was in the summers, I would start doing projects and I worked, uh, I hired a uh, general contractor and we would start doing projects uh, in the summertime. And uh, and I would have him man and oversee it just so I can get comfortable with the space. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, uh, right as I got ready to retire, uh, I ended up having to dis- disconnect with the guy because he was just showing up for a check and so on and so forth. And I start, uh, started a mentorship with a, with a very good builder from Canada. And uh, I literally just 
I, I masked him for a year. I followed him. We, we, you know, had several meetings all the time and, and every one of his houses and projects I asked, Hey, can I please just follow you and see how your day goes so I can learn, you know, so on and so forth. And so, you know, I did that. And as I started going through it, uh, you know, the connection became very apparent that I had a skill set for this and I started seeing how I can apply, you know, my, my, my informal training from pro sports, you know, meaning the drive and the know-how and right. so on and so forth mixed in with my formal training and architecture and that I, I could actually probably do something pretty good if I just moved this fear out of the way. So I dove in, man. And, and I started a design bill firm and, you know, within five years broke the $40 million mark and, and um, you know, the rest was history. Dude, and, and you just literally said something that speaks to our, our platform of ball storming. You literally took Definitely. the things that you learned from basketball, the training, the dedication, the submerging yourself, giving it your all, and you applied it in the outside world, in the business world. And you are uber successful because of those disciplines that you learned in basketball. Absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm humble with that whole approach because, you know, the one thing you learn is that getting out of your comfort zone and, I mean, you guys know this, you know, if you play golf or even if you're even basketball, I think golf is worse, but, uh, you know, getting humble, getting out of your comfort zone, you get humble a lot, right? You know, and, and so, so as I approached this other space, you know, I always reminded myself to continue humbling myself by finding out what I could learn better. I didn't focus on what I knew. I focused on what I didn't know. You know what I mean? And, and so as a result, it was always drive. Every day was, was getting better, getting better, getting better. It wasn't celebrating a win as much as it was getting better, getting better, getting better. Because I, I didn't want to fail, you know, uh, and I didn't want to go backwards. And so, you know, I, like I said, submerged myself into it. But yeah, absolutely, you know, uh, it was definitely a connection there. Yes, sir. Man, uh, Joe, that's 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 great. Um, everything that you said there, man. Um, I want to ask you a question. Uh, when you you mentioned you um you let go of your agent earlier in your career, what did it mean to you to kind of take control of your own path and not rely on someone else? Because so many times, the youth, especially for myself, I had a chance. Like um, I played ten years overseas, and you know a lot of guys that say, "Oh, I'm just going to get this agent and he's going to take care of everything." What about those things that you have to take care of on your own and take care on and really just take control of your own vision? Absolutely. You know, I, uh, you know, back then it was the early nineties and it was a very scary thing to do because as you guys know, in sports, you can get blackballed very easy. You know? oh, yeah. And, um, you know, so when I, when I ended up firing these guys, there was more than enough reason because they had kind of pulled a, a you know bad move, but but to answer your question, you know, the fear of these guys taking care of everything and doing what I didn't know, the fear of, of saying I need to learn what I don't know, I think you guys can hear kind of by by my conversation, you know, that's kind of my DNA. You know, I, I really dive into stuff that I if I don't know, I dive into it. You mm -hmm. know, and. The reason why was because I wasn't great at anything. Like, you know, when I picked up a basketball my first time, you know, I had, uh, I sucked, you know, kicked the ball over. Like, you know, there was six, whatever I was, six, five, I think it was, six, four. And uh, just, you know, but the hard work is what, uh, and focusing on the hard work 
and getting results and then building on those results on a daily basis gave me a confidence that nobody could take away, right? So I might not mm -hmm. be as good as this guy or that guy or this or that, but I knew that I had improved 40% since what I started, right? So the same approach went into when I fired these guys, these agents, you know, and it, it was embedded in me and I had just gotten trained by the best in the world. And he really pushed that too. So, you know, it was all about, I'm going to, I'm going to make, I'm going to yield results. I'm going to focus so hard on what I need to do and what needs to be done. I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to move the insecurities out of the way. And I'm going to ask questions, humble myself, ask questions and then learn what I don't know. And, and what I did, what I ended up doing as a result of that is what I learned is that you really have to know how to, number one, look for an agent, you know, and understand what to look for and what their jobs are. And the big, most, most important thing, and, and when I say this is from, from a humble perspective is they work for you. Mm -hmm. That's what a lot of guys don't understand, man, when they go in overseas and, or not even just overseas, even in NBA, like a lot of guys feel like you work for that individual but no you have the keys to the car you have control and they will do whatever you say and if you allow them to move a certain way they they, they will move that way absolutely and and uh you know they're afraid to ask questions you know uh as a result because you know and you know some some agents used to position it that way to where hey you know i'm doing you a favor right which mm -hmm. which, which is true you know but it's an yeah. exchange and so so, uh, and some, some agents are intimidated by a player asking questions more than, you know what I mean? And the questions I would ask would be things like, how much are you communicating? I see you have uh, three tiers of players, A, B, and C. I was a C player. I wasn't a superstar. I wasn't a draft pick. I wasn't drafted. I played my way into the league, right? So, you know, how does the allocation of your time go towards my potential career? Do I need more? And are you too big for me? Like, you know, things like that. And then, you know, those are the very basics to, to even start the relationship. Yeah. You know, and I, and I did a lot of that same thing you're talking about. Like um, I did my research. I'm, I'm trying to see who does this guy represent and where do I fall in? I don't want to sign with an agent that has four, six, nine players. And then, and I'm the last one on the list. So when the job comes up, when he gets those emails that he's in conversation, you may be the last one or your name may not even get mentioned. So you want to be able right. to put yourself in that right position. So I really, yeah, that's, that's definitely the way to and, go about and, it. And, and I want to say this, you know, once this COVID stuff clears up and eventually when, when BD, when you come out here to Arizona, man, we'll, we'll go link up with Joe. I'm not standing next to y'all because both of y'all six, nine, I'm sitting here at a measly six phone. I, I'm going to sit on a bench. And y'all take, take a picture so it can look right, look proportionate. You know, I don't want, like, oh, he's short. He's a little fella. No, I'm 6'4". Hey, but you got that jumper, though, right? So I've hey, seen the jumper. Hey, hey, hey man. So, so, so Brian, <laughs> tell you, man. Hey, Brian, back, hey. Hey, man. Hey, back in, back, um, back in high school, that's, hey, one thing he had, he had that little quick little jumper. Man, yeah. hey, come down, bust it. I ain't care. Oh, I'm shooting it. And that's why I was, I feel, I, once again, I'm going to say this again. I feel like I was before my era. Had I been born a little bit later with the jumper I have, oh man, I'd have went D three and rode the bench. You <laughs> said D three. <laughs> hey, hey yeah. it's better than nothing, right? Better than <laughs> nothing. Hey, so I want to ask you a question as, as me myself being being a newer father. You know, my son is one; he turned one in November, and 
you know, me, I love the game of basketball. And, and so we just took him to the to the doctor. They're like, he's in a hundred percentile. He's going to land anywhere between six, six to six, 10. I'm like, OK, right. so in my mind, they already I, I'm thinking he's probably going to end up going with basketball if he if he chooses to play a sport. You know, you having a son that's on his college path, on his on his on his career path in basketball. What are some things that you've instilled in him that you learned that you think can help, oh, you know, push him along the way? And I know it's a lot, you know, just maybe some 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 stuff that you just that you just made sure that you etched into him. Like this is a part of the foundation, you know. So if I may share, like I'm, I might take a minute or so to answer this. Is that okay? Hey, go ahead. Hey, okay, take your so, time, man. It's your world. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. So the first thing I'll say is, the first thing I'll say is that it talk about being humble. That's one of the most humbling things uh, that I've ever been through. It, not, not, not only having a son, but being humble to the point where your expectation of, I've got all of this stuff, and I know he's going to be jumping to, to, to learn it all. And I can't wait up for that day, that time. And I'm going to pour it all into him and boom, 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 boom. Right? right. Then you find out the reality of it is you're a dad. And kids, you know, don't always listen to their dad. They got to learn their own path. Nope. <laughs> then, on, then on top of it, and my son is amazing. He, I mean, he is, I mean, my son, I, I've been totally blessed out of, out of this world. Well, let me pause you for a second, Joe. I will tell you this. Your son is a great listener. I will tell you that because the very first time I met him was at Lifetime. Me and him played on the same team. And he caught the ball in the post, and he didn't shoot it. And right. I might have been a little hard on him. I ripped him. I'm like, hey, man, you are six fucking ten. Next time you get that ball down there, if you don't shoot that motherfucker. Like, <laughs> right. Went right, down, he scored, right. four, he scored four plays in a row. Right, four right. Plays. Every time I gave it to him, go to work, go to work. So he, is, he, is, he does an amazing job of listening from that interaction alone. But yeah, go ahead and continue. <laughs> Absolutely. And because he started late like I did, and I'll jump back on track, he started his 10th grade year just like I did. So we're late, we were what you call late bloomers. Mm-hmm. So his best basketball is in front of him for sure. He hadn't even, he haven't re- he hasn't even, he's just now, he's like six, ten and a half, almost six eleven now, two, two thirty. And he's probably the most physical guy on their team at San Jose State right now. Uh, but uh, and so, but he hasn't even started to really, really, you know, uh, turn that corner. And he that this summer is going to be when that happens, I believe, truly. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of the part of the reason is Tim Grover agreed to train him this summer. Oh wow! And so nice. Yeah, I mean that's a hey, man, I'm begging, now or should I wait? I, hey, listen. I beg Tim. I'm like Tim. Come on, man. We know each other. You gonna actually make me beg you? <laughs> right. And so he's he's such a busy man and everything. But uh, but getting back to, to to what I was saying was, so it wasn't that he didn't want to listen. It wasn't that he didn't want to learn. What it was is that I underestimated that he could only intake as much as the capacity that he could uh, uh, take at that time of his learning. So basically, I had way more advanced stuff that I'm ready to pour into this kid where he had to learn the basics of just the foundation of confidence and, and all the basics in basketball first before he could even acknowledge or hear anything I, I'm saying, you know? And so what I had to do, I learned through the process and I got taught from the process. I had to go back to the basics with him, recreate a foundation and slow down and help him understand that foundation and we're still working on that but in the process of what i did was i broke it into two parts his foundational training 
the second half of our, our, our training is going to be here is uh, the technical side that's going to come out when that point comes. When you when you hit that point, you're going to know it, and we're going to create a muscle memory for things, skill sets. Now, now, uh, Devin, you've seen my son shoot the ball at six ten, right? At six ten, absolutely. So his gym. So one of the things I did was shooting the ball and understanding shooting. So before he understood how he was going to use it, once I realized I need to slow down and and help help this kid, you know, get through this process. But I'm gonna I'm not gonna wait till I get to his X number, you know, senior year to start talking about shooting, or like a lot of big guys do, they don't start really shooting the ball until later on, um, and to, when they're put in a position or forced to. I started when he was, you know, fourteen years old, 12, 13 years old, fourteen when he, uh, however it was when he picked picked the basketball the first time. The first thing we did was shooting. As a result, his junior and senior year, he shot over fifty percent from three, mm. uh, both years. Yeah, he's highly, he's highly, highly skilled. As a matter of fact, you know, I saw him, I think it was two weeks before he went back this uh this past fall, I guess you can call it fall, summer, whatever it was. And he was right. at the at the lab, came up there early one morning and he was playing. Dude had a confidence about himself that I didn't see the very first time I met him. He was right. demanding the ball, bring the ball to court, talking to guys like you can't guard me. I'm like, okay, all right. Right. I'm gonna right. be in this old guy section. And rub my knees. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, and then what's funny about it is that's what he, that's what I, I, I need him to, or, or not, I don't need him to. He needs him, himself to remember that moment of what that feels like because, you know, every, he's basically starting over with the confidence side of it. You know, mm -hmm. he can go over and you, you know, you have, you have confidence, but, you know, once you start playing against a, a bunch of, you know, 6'10, 245 guys who, who can think the game. And physically talented, you know. In college, you got guys that are juniors and seniors that all of a sudden run circles around you, mm -hmm. you know. And so he's kind of starting the process over. So the most, and I'll say this in final with answering that question, the most gratifying part of that process was him starting to call me and say, "Hey, Dad, remember when you were telling me this? Well, I did this today, and I saw this happen," or mm -hmm. you know. He was oh, he's realizing it. Hey, he's right there. He's right there now. Yes, yes. And at his freshman year, and he they end up getting because of COVID, they end up getting their freshman year back. So mm. you know, so having those things, and then the other thing was the humbling things. So so, how did they did today go? Well, you know, I had two turnovers. You know, he was, and I noticed he would start focusing on negative stuff. I said, hey, you know, it happens. It's part of the game. So I grew in the process too. But then I said, so well, why do you think you had the turnovers? What happened? Is there something that, that we can, you know, help with or whatever? And I said, just remember, it always happens as part of the growth. And he said, I'm just doing stuff you told me 100, 100 times not to do. <laughs> and, and he would, this is his answers now. And I'm yeah. just like, wow. So I mean, he understands the game. Oh, man. And so it's powerful because now I can move out of the way and now I can actually start injecting the high-level pro stuff because he he really couldn't understand that until he got to at least this point. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Joe, um, one thing that I've always really had aspirations of doing, um, give you a little background, I went to Texas A&M 2006 to 2010. And um, in 2008, going into my, going into, uh, my junior year, I had a, a great chance, I mean, a great opportunity to um, 
attend Pete Newell's big man camp. And it ended up being his last camp that he had out there in Las Vegas. Wow. And you mentioned, you mentioned about um, your son and, and yourself kind of being late bloomers. I was the same way. I didn't really start playing basketball until I kind of met Devin in the ninth grade. And one thing that I always wanted to do was like start up a big man camp because when it right. comes to big man, I feel like big man, we're, we're, we're last on the list when it comes to development. It's like, oh if, if you, if oh you don't, God. if you, if you don't see the instant Kevin Durant height and skill work or the, 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 the skill that like a Joel Embiid has, it's instantly okay. Let's just 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 rebound and 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 just make your shots around the basket. But I feel like it's so much just been left out behind the fundamentals part of the game and all of those things. Basically, to where bigs are left out when it comes to truly developing and giving that giving that time for them to show what they can do. And so, what what do you think about the the evolution and the skill work of the big man when it comes to fundamentals and what could be done? to help the, the next generation of bigs be better and be respected more. And I, I uh, what you just said, I believe in so much. Uh, and also Texas a and great school, man, by the way. Um, Thank you. But I believe in so much because of my journey uh, taught me to believe in it, number one, and forced me to believe in it. Because when I came out, I mean, you look at the scenario and you know this, as soon as you hit six, eight, Six nine, you're in the paint, no matter what. Yeah, do not don't and don't shoot. Don't a matter of fact, you at most you got one dribble. Absolutely. And then and then here's a the part that that's you know, I gotta touch on, but it's a little bit controversial. Uh, I don't believe it should be, but depending on who you're being coached by, or I would say led by, okay, because just because you're a coach doesn't mean you're a leader, right? Mm. And so and so depending on who you're being led by they might not have the skill sets to be able to understand what you, what you are, like what, you're, what, you're, what you can be and everything else. They might be fitting you into a slot that's a checklist uh, and don't have advanced thinking about that process for a big man, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. you know, in, today, in today's world, coaches are, are, you know, hired and fired so fast because it's kind of become a player's uh, game you know, politically that, you know, the, the first thing a coach is thinking is who can help me win? That's all I care about. Yeah. And so a lot of times you see a lot of four out one in and stuff like that. And they're looking for the guy that's already advanced to your point that you made. Right. And so, so you take a situation like me, for instance, and I'm sure you went through the same similar process. I was a center until, until my senior year at Southern Miss. Mm-hmm. And so I just so happened to have a jump shot because I worked on it on my own privately, right? And I didn't really have anybody working on that with me. I worked on that, right? And so, because I, you know, I had fast feet and so on and so forth. And I kind of admire some of the shooters, but I just wanted to make sure I had a complete game. And so fast forward, I signed with the Chicago Bulls and I'm going somewhere with this. When I signed with the Chicago Bulls, obviously I signed with them as a power forward. But within literally days, they switched me to small four because I could shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. And, and, and back then, they labeled us as tweener, as a tweener. Right. Right? If I wanted to play, they had Scott Williams at 6'10 and a half, 
Parham's grand at six ten. You know, you know, all you know, Bill Carway is the center. So if I wanted to play, I needed to fit in where I could. You know what I mean? Right. So I took the opportunities to show what I had outside of just being a big guy. And I take a shot, take the leap of faith, take a shot. I hit the shot or do this and do that. So, uh, so I, I, I kind of carried that label as a tweener and for, through the, all the different teams, because I was a journeyman that I played with, I played different positions. You know, when I, the very next season I played with the Phoenix Suns and I was one of the leaders in shooting percentage. My point being this, the importance of, and you see where the, the, the game has advanced, big guys need to be trained as a basketball player. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Period. Not, mm-hmm. not as a big guy only because I think mm-hmm. guards need to learn how to post. Man. Yes. Because you can take you advantage know? of mismatches, but if you have a, like I, I see so much um, being, being in the college basketball world over the past two years, it's like you have a guard that would be six, five, or like a three man, and he gets around the basket and don't know what he do, um, know what to do because he's never been right. taught those things. But guards don't right. understand, and I mean, not guards. A lot of people that's at the top really don't put that effort into really developing those guys because that's, that goes back to the fundamentals of knowing and having a feel for everything, knowing where you're on the floor and where you can use certain things. That that's what made guys like Michael Jordan and Kobe so good because. They knew where they were, and they knew what they can do when they got to those spots. Mm. Yeah, man, and and I, I think oh, a lot of I think a lot of coaches, and this is un, un, another reason why I think the big man is kind of undervalued. And this is speaking from a, a, a fan a outside perspective, because you know, there's no way I'm playing post at six four. It's just not happening. But the, another reason why I feel like it's <laughs> overlooked, it's not sexy. It watching somebody in the block, you know, drop step, you know turn around off the glass, like Tim Duncan, one, to me, top five greatest player of all time. If you ever having trouble sleeping, just pull up his highlight reel. You're going to get right. about 30 seconds in and you, yeah, because it's right. not sexy. It's not flashy. And I feel like right. that's it, that because it's not, it gets overlooked. Like it's not, like it's just, like it doesn't matter. Right. So that's why you see, you know, these kids now, a lot of them are being trained just to, oh, you got to shoot threes. Like, Perfect example, like Carmelo Anthony, one of the greatest scores the NBA has ever seen, almost got ran out of the league because he wasn't a three-point shooter, which is just blows my mind. Right. But you know, I think that that's my right, reason. I, right. That's my feeling on that as far as like, oh, what happened to the big man? It's just not, you know, not sexy, I guess, in that sense. Right. Right. If, but you know, and, and that's such a good point you make. So, so you know, to to his point about starting a big man camp. Uh, I, not only is it needed, but it needs to be put out there for, for kids to learn and big guys to learn. So when they go to practice, they're not getting the opportunity to be developed as someone who can handle the ball a little bit. You know, the, the, the other intangibles on, on defense on a guard or defense on a quicker player out there, you know, because that's not something that they're going to use. So that extra work needs to be done to kind of help develop these guys, especially late bloomers. You know, mm-hmm. and, you know, as you guys know, 99.9% of the uh, players that are out there, um, you know, are not advanced. You you only get the guys that leave high school or for or one and done. That's a, that's a small percentage of not even the negatives. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it, it's so much needed all the way around. Uh, and I think that the guys that have better careers and I, cause I didn't know, for instance, 
of some of the great big guys until I played against them. I had the ability to handle the ball a little bit. When I played against Shaq in college, you know, um, and then played in the NBA, and then, you know, I'm messing around with Shaq. We're talking whatever. You know, he could handle the ball. He could pass the ball. Like, this was, this was even when he was a rookie, mm. you know? And we weren't groomed that way. You know, as a big guy, you know, I could do a little bit, but, you know, you're not groomed that way. So the guys that actually are great players, they know more of the, bat, the, the full game of basketball and have a lot more skill sets, even if they're not being used or utilized depending on the team that they play with. So I think it's definitely uh, something that needs to be out there and helping these guys develop. My son's having that issue right now. What I already taught him, a lot of skill sets, and I don't want to pat myself. It has nothing to do with that. Yeah. I taught him a lot of skill sets because I, I believe the same thing that you were saying that they're not. he's probably not going to get it. So here he is in a D1 program, okay, and I asked him about how much personal work he's doing. And they're doing almost no personal development. It's all group stuff. Mm. You know? And, and the first thing he says to me when he comes home on the break, Dad, can we go to the gym together? I'm like, okay, I thought you'd be tired of basketball and you need a couple of days off, whatever. He goes, no, man, we don't, you know, we're not really doing the things that we do. So he's getting addicted to, you know, keeping those skills sharp and advancing those skills because he sees an opening. And so anyway, yeah. uh, not to get too long-winded about that, I believe huh. in it big time. No, no, that was that was great, man. And then also some of you said like they don't um the the college athlete don't really have a lot of time when it comes to like the true one-on-one personal development. And that right. that goes into a lot of different things to where uh, you only have a certain amount of hours per week to work out or during yes. that day. Yes. So you have to you have to do the group workouts to to fit everything in. And then your own individual skill work is something that you have to do before practice, after practice, early in the morning or late at night. Right. And right. to kind of speak to what I was talking about with the um with the camp, like one of the things that I would love to be able to in, include into that camp and something that I didn't get at a young age was, yeah, we're going to learn the skills. We're going to learn everything about the game of basketball, but we're not going to forget one of the main things. And I know you spent a lot of time doing this as well, is we're going to carve out a segment during that camp yeah, we're going to watch some video. Man, oh, dude, did not just some, say yeah. that? You did yes. not just go there. That's exactly, <laughs> yes. dude, I, hey, it's part of the skill set. Don't you don't Yes, you it that? is. Yes, it's, it's, it's what you said earlier about muscle memory. It's the same thing. You get that muscle memory because I was always told, my uncle always told me after a good game or after a bad game, you watch, go watch film because it's never as bad as you thought. And it's never as good as you thought it was. Mm-hmm. You need to go. Uh, that's amazing. You, you need to go back and watch it, and and not only just watching yourself, but watching other players and learning and learning from situations. Because if you can visualize yourself and watching that video over and over and over, next thing you know, you're getting that situation. It's like, oh, I've been here. Muscle memory. I'm good. I'm good. I'm going. Absolutely. Yeah. That. Absolutely. That is yeah. so powerful, man, and, and it's so. Awesome that you, you you actually said what you said because I was actually going to input that and say, you know, that I thought that the video actually watching film it should be a part of it should be taught as part of your skill set. Yeah, you know what I mean. And yeah. so that's that's really cool, man. And truth be told, I don't think a lot of people really spend a, a, enough time watching the game. You know, like 
and for me, like I've always been in love with the game of basketball. So and, and being around people that I know that are coaches, like my cousin, he's the D1 coach uh, at a, a UNT on the women's side. You know, just being around them and watching the game and, and, and looking at all those things, watching them watch film, I watch it totally different now. Like, I can't sit down right. and watch just a basketball game for the enjoyment. It's like almost a curse because I'm looking at it like, yeah, he should have right. cut. He's about to come back. You got to look a couple, couple plays ahead. couple plays ahead. Right. Right? And then, like, and then so some people are like, hey, who's your favorite player in the, in the league? I'm like, uh, like, one of my favorite players is it, to watch is Royce O'Neal for the Utah Jazz because the dude just doesn't make mistakes. Like, he cuts right. what he's supposed to cut. He, he boxes out his man. He, it, it's stuff that doesn't show up on the stat sheet. So it's like a curse now at my point. I'm just like, look, I'm sitting here like watching this and I can't even really enjoy this because I've seen all the mistakes that are going on out here. That is that's so cool, man. And, you know, because I was a late bloomer, that was one of the things I had to do um, no matter what. And, and you know, players aren't going to tell you, here's the secret to what I'm doing. You know, that's something you got to you got to pick up on your own and go. But yeah. it should, once, once it's being taught that way and told that way by a good leader, which obviously you are because you are, you're standing, you know, you're standing on that, on that principle right away. And I told my son the same thing because that's a habit you got to learn, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, because a lot of these kids, their habits aren't, aren't the same as ours was, you know, they got so many distractions. And so, you know, for the first period of time, my son didn't understand the value of, of watching film. And, you know, even though I was telling them all the time. So I started cutting up the film myself. I would go there. And I literally will video every single one of his games. I flew all over the country, mm. watch all of his games and prep schools and stuff. I video and I would cut the film up and I would send him little clips and I would show him all these little different things and start. And then eventually he starts seeing the value of it. And he, you know, like you said, he'd ask me, Hey dad, did you, did you take film of this game? And so he's still kind of getting that and learning that. And now that he's gone through his first uh, experience with D one basketball and seeing how, playing against teams like San Diego State and who, who, you know, all those players are skilled, they're well coached. And, and, you know, now he wants to learn what it's like, it's almost like he has, it had to reach his moment of yearning. Right. Mm-hmm. And so now he's starting to fall back on it, which is awesome. So, yeah, uh, but anyway, that, that's, that, that's, that's amazing that he's, that he's taking, you know, really, uh, training his mind because you know that's the last thing to go is the mind everybody's like oh last thing goes the jump shot no it's, it's your mind you know so that's right. that's really good he's advancing at that point so i want to ask you this i i, I want to the reason i'm asking this question is because i want people to understand that everything ain't you know cookie cutter the people that you see in successful positions are in successful positions because they're supposed to be there nine times out of ten because they put in the work they've done the things that they need to do to be successful so, Joe, I want to ask you about a time where you and it could be, you know, let's after basketball, a time, let's call it business or whatever. Maybe during the time you were interning and 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 uh, and shadowing that guy. Tell me about a time where you were just like, man, like, I don't think I can do this. You Your lowest moment and where you just pulled your, you pulled yourself about the mud and, and got to it and ended up overcoming that because you're obviously successful. And I know we've all had those low moments. Right. Right. Absolutely. So you want me to tell you uh, when I've had one of those low moments where I was yeah. questioning things? You mean, yeah. This oh, man, I, I, had, I, had multi, I had multiple of them all throughout the process, um, you know, of, of really just kind of questioning. And I could, I guess I, I could better just start at kind of the end of my basketball career 
mm-hmm. and the beginning of my business career because the, the, the fear of retiring from basketball, I remember sitting with my uh, agent uh, at the time and saying that I wanted to start investing in real estate. And, you know, I wasn't a, a big money guy. I was a blue collar, you know, barely blue collar NBA guy and, you know, journeyman. And so uh, when I was talking to him, he kind of, he kind of laughed and said, um, you know, if you want to go do what you want to start investing uh, and, and, you know, talking to the financial guy or whatever. And I said, yeah, I'd like to, you know, invest a little bit in real estate because it's, it's a passion. It's a love of mine, whatever. But, you know, I want to want to see how it'll go, whatever. So he just says, you know, he tell me, you know, kind of laughed it off and said, I'll see you back in a year and you'll, you'll forget about that. Right. Well, mm. you know, I was so fearful of, of failing, but he just gave me all the momentum and, and everything I needed. Mm, just by telling and, you that. Just by telling me that and realizing that, wait a minute, you know, you're supposed to be, you mean to tell me I've been with you for all these years and you're supposed to be supporting me and, and helping me with growth, you know, the quote unquote story that, that they sell you when they sign you. And here I am at the growth point where I want to start expanding. And you're, you know, you're, uh, you're putting that kind of putting that down, you know, trying to create doubt with that. Just and yeah. so, so the doubt part worked, you know, it was like, I, I second guessed myself and was going through that process. So what did I do? Just like I told you guys earlier, I was outside of my comfort zone. So I completely submerged myself. I started mm-hmm. studying, man, as much as possible. <clears throat> I started studying some of the stuff in investments. I found out, okay, you know, he's, he's hanging his hat on, you know, seven and 10%, right. And so, um, you know, good and bad, whatever. Right. So, uh, I started uh, focusing on real estate and understanding the money game and the demographics. And, and so as I got into the, got, got into the game and I started investing on my own, I didn't have a lot to lose. I was a blue collar guy. I wasn't a super rich guy. Uh, you know, if I lost something, it, it could make a huge difference on my trajectory. Right. You see what I'm saying? <clears throat> and so I overcompensated by just really getting consumed and learning as much as possible about the money side of the business mm-hmm. and how to, how to really make money in real estate on my end. And I was a bill, I was going, going to be a builder, a general contractor too. So, um, you know, fast forward a year, a little over a year, year and a half, whatever it was, I took 10% of my last year's income and we sat down and had another meeting and I had invested at 10%. And, uh, you know, he sits there with a snark on his face. We have a meeting kind of waiting for the, the, for me to give him all the bad news. He said, so how'd you do? We, we, we made, you know, 10% for you this, this year or whatever it was. <clears throat> and um, and uh, I said, well, I did okay. He goes, that girl, it's okay. Don't, and he says again, let's listen to this now, a year later. Mm. A, little, over, a, little, a little over a year and a half later, he says again, don't worry. A lot of people think they can go out there and do it on their own. Mm. Mm-hmm. And I had to give him the news that I made almost 400% on my money. Hey man, <laughs> I would love to be a fly on the wall in that room when you told them four hundred percent. Are you kidding me? And not only on that that part of the equation, but then I said, uh, he goes, look, he goes, don't say that, again. don't tell me that again. I said, why is that? Because you're going to be out of a job. I said, well, that's going to happen anyway. You know what I mean? I mean, this guy was telling me, don't you know, don't pay your house off. Like you know, there's all kind of things that that are what? that are questionable depending on who you ask, right? Right. Uh, and so, so anyway, instead of getting into that, that's not my field. I'm not in 
I'm not a financial advisor, but I guess my point of it is, is I was so uncomfortable that I'm, I created a very comfortable situation and, and start creating a, a beginnings of a mastery. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I, as a result, man, I got addicted to the studying and the, the demographics. And I found out that demographics and stu- in the numbers don't lie. So I was able to, to uh, predict a lot of the stuff. So mm. my forecasting was strong, right? There it is, yep. And so I had a system of numbers that I used that created a, a winning formula. So for everything I touched, it, it, it won on paper before I even moved. Or yeah. when I realized that a lot of people who have ups and downs in real estate investing, it's all over the board, you know, and they're hanging on hat, they're hanging their hat on false numbers and, and fall, you know, so uh, that, that uncomfortable moment in my life and transitioning from pro sports to the business world is what created uh, something that actually made, you know, made me more successful in, in, in the development game. You got to get right. comfortable being uncomfortable, man. I'm gonna tell you like this, Joe. When you get back from San Diego, man, I'm a, I'm, I'm listen. I'm gonna come to you. We're gonna have a sit down. I need to learn. I'm gonna go get the finest tequila that Walmart has to offer. And I'm gonna come over there. <laughs> yeah, hey, y'all gonna have a headache. <laughs> but no, like like to learn stuff, like like I think people like forget, like, hey, just you're always gonna forever be learning. You will you will never stop learning. And and people are, are yes. uncomfortable with what they don't know. That's what I say all the time. Yeah. Like, you know, she he's like, what our son, like, I hope he tells me everything. He's not going to tell you everything. Yeah, he will. Right. Uh, no, he won't. <laughs> right, right. Tell my mother. Oh, I, <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And that's why that's why I always let, you know, I played basketball for, for you know, for a living for a period of time. But I'm not a coach. And that's why I always tell the coaches I never judge. You know, because a coach, you have to be a teacher, a leader, so many different intangibles on top of just knowing the game of basketball. Mm-hmm. And so I always stay in my lane. And and sometimes you'll see coaches, they'll be like, hey, well, you know, you played, you could, I go, no, you know, coach, that's, I don't want to step across that line. Yeah. If you ask my opinion, I'll give it to you, but I never step across that line, you know? Yes, sir. Gotcha. Well, hey, um, Joe, man, I'm, I love everything you just said once again. And um, one thing that I'm really big on is like learning from your past and truly being able to grow from every part of your life. I want to ask you this. Could, if you were going to write yourself a letter and what age would you be writing yourself a letter to? And what would you tell yourself for the future? Hmm. That's a good one. Well, the first the first thing is the first thing I would I would tell you is that the age would be 19, 18, you know, I would say 19 between 19 and 21. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because you, you life's starting to become serious then. Mm. You know, you're not li- you're not living under mom's mom and dad's, you know, you know, paying for the bills and so on and so forth your identity is starting to form itself on its own and you become 100% responsible for that. So, mm-hmm. so that age, age range would be uh, uh, where I would start to write a letter to, to myself. As far as what I would say to myself, I know a couple of things, if it's okay. Yeah, go ahead, one take the, your time. One of, the, one of the most important things I would say is, is 
don't be afraid to ask questions and continue leaning into staying outside of your comfort zone. Just lean into it and it's going to, it's going to be the biggest win that you can have because when you're outside of your comfort zone, you'll walk over to a Mark Cuban, which I hesitated at the beginning of talking to Mark Cuban. But a few years later, I ended up walking over to him when we were went out together, me, him, Barkley, and, and uh, for, for, you know, New Year's Eve gathering. And I start talking to him. And I was so afraid of talking to him a few years before that when I met him <laughs> that, I, that he told me some things that are very simple, very clean and sharp. That, that could have affected me positively for a few years. So how much time did I waste? You know what I mean? <clears throat> Being afraid, getting out of my comfort zone and going over to ask those questions of those people and not worrying about who they think you are, right? right. You're there, you know, you're there to advance. So, that, so that's what I would say is that just lean into, as a, you know, you guys have heard me say, being uncomfortable and, and asking those questions no matter what, how small or how large you think they are. Mm. The, si- mm-hmm. the second thing I would say is that uh, the choices you make predict the outcome that you'll have. And so don't make drastic decisions at emotional moments. Mm. Yeah. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a huge on a lot of people. Because that, that. Absolutely. You know, think about Think about situations you've been in when you felt like the world's against you or, you know, this bird, this is over with anyway, or, you know, <laughs> whether it be a relationship with, uh, you know, in sports and you kind of end up ruining a situation or dampening a situation that, that you're, you might be viewing a certain way and had nothing to do with what, the way you were looking at it at that point in time, you know? And uh, and it could stunt your growth, yeah. you know. So uh, so definitely, just just take a, take a deep breath. And every situation is you're going to learn something from. So I, I would say those would be the two most important things that I would I would tell myself. Man, man, those those are two important things you have to tell yourself because you know so. It's it's like you said that nineteen age is Man. a very big transitioning year. It is so yeah. that that little those couple of years, and when you're going through that, when when something wrong happens, it's like you said, the world is against you, and right. you you don't and you can make decisions too quick, and that can be the wrong decisions, and you don't know how that can affect you down the line there's so many things i can think of that i decisions i've made back then to now i'm like dang man what if i wouldn't have done that but i feel like also i'm at the age and the point in my life to where i can also reflect on it and there's no there's no bad moments there's only teachable moments they're bad moments if you didn't grow from them you know right right exactly yeah being able to look back at those those type of things and, and pull the lesson out of it for me has been vital because I've made a shit ton of mistakes. Like, man, you know, and, and I'm proud of every mistake that I made because I'm able to go back, look at the situation and just take the lesson from it. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, okay, what was it supposed to teach me at this moment? Okay. As long as I remember, as long as I learned what it was supposed to teach me, this is not a failure. 
Right. It just didn't go the way I wanted it to go. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and guys, as you guys both know, uh, you know, I brought those two things up because the most important thing out of all of this is that you can get a lot of things back. You can get money back. You can get a new wife. You can get, you know, play for another team. You can, you know, all these, a lot of these things can happen. But one thing you, you, you that is not guaranteed, you cannot get time back. No, you cannot. Nobody <laughs> has figured that out yet. So, <laughs> right? Only, only in Marvel. Back. Only in Marvel. That's about <laughs> it. <laughs> exactly. With the stones on his hand, right? So, Man. I mean, Man. Well, I, hey. I mean, you know, because of that, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, it's so important to just, you know, try not to lose time, but still, but still embrace it. And learn something from it, but anyway. Yeah, yeah well, hey, man, the, Brian, listen, I'm gonna go ahead and say this, man. I think this might have been my favorite episode we've done so far. Like, oh man, uh, absolutely, <laughs> man. I've, 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 it was, there's so many things oh, yeah. that I've said, and you've um, been able to talk to someone that I'm not worried about an NBA championship. Michael Jordan, yeah. he's great. Yeah. Um, it's it's the lessons you learn from those times and right. being able to help others, you know, and your words, you don't know, can help anybody. And I, I like everything that you said, um, your journey. And like you said, you're a journeyman. Like a lot of people may not have known what you were um, referring to in that, but you, that was your position and you embraced your position and where you was and you made the best out of it in your life. And I'm, I'm, right. I'm very happy that you were able to take this time out and sit here with us and have this conversation. And thankful for Devin making this connection for us. Yeah, and, th- and thank you. Thank you guys for having me on. I mean, you guys are a blessing doing this at this point in time, too. I mean, this is this is awesome, man. Absolutely. Awesome. Hey, so let me so do this real quick. Tell the people how they can find you. So if somebody wants to reach out to you, maybe just to follow you, maybe because you're an inspiration to them, because they, they like everything you said here, man. Where can they find you at? Well, the easiest way to find is I wrote a book called called Life Above and Beyond the Rim. And it's an, you know, became a little, little bestseller at the time, which I was excited about. But you can go on Amazon and that book will tell you everything, not only about me, how to get in contact with me, but also too, it's the 10 steps of becoming successful and, and breaking through your barriers and finding true happiness and peace in life. And so, you know, to me, that intangible creates a conversation so that when I do meet somebody and talk to them, if they've, if they've read that book, the language level we could speak is, is, is tremendous. So, um, you know, if I had my choice, that's what I would I would uh, prefer to, to do. Absolutely, yeah. man. Yeah. Well, hey, but th- hey, listen, man, thank you for taking the time out and come kick it with us here on Ballstorming, man. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed you. I'm so hyped for people to hear this, man. Absolutely. I think this is the best episode we've done so far. And we're going to keep going up. We're going to keep getting better and better. Thank y'all for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Hey, this is Ballstorming, man. And this is Joe Courtney. Thanks for being here with us. Thank you, guys, man. I really appreciate it. Have a blessed evening. Yes, sir. You too. Yes, sir. Looking like I got the whole thing You can get me ballin' overseas Never got judged to the league But in but in ballin' overseas overseas overseas